Hey, this is Simon O'Connor, the Member of Parliament for Tamaki. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey listeners, it's now time to adapt in a fast-moving world, and I want to welcome you to today's episode, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Simon O'Connor. He is the Member of Parliament for the Tamaki electorate in here in New Zealand. He was first elected in 2011, and he was mostly recently the Chair of Parliament's Foreign Affairs, Defence and Trade Select Committee. And before that, he was the Chair of the Health Committee. Currently, he holds the largest number of responsibilities in the caucus. And prior to politics, he was in the corporate world. And he has his own podcast called On Point, where he interviews various guests on contemporary topics, both in New Zealand and abroad. Simon, a big welcome to you. G'day, Dennis. Oh, great to join you. Thanks yeah, for the opportunity. Awesome. Great to have you here with us. And just for our listeners here, we've, I've given you, I've given them a brief introduction to you. Tell us a little bit more about your background. Well, it's slightly eclectic, but let's start with the, the simple part. So before Parliament, actually, I used to work for Southern Cross uh, Health Society. So that's your health insurance. And my wasn't the salesman. My role was to negotiate all the contracts with the various doctors, specialists and hospitals across the, the country. So contract relations, negotiations has been a big part of my background in the private sector before Parliament. I was in the public sector before that, used to do the negotiation for the Ministry of Social Development on their social programs. And then the slightly quirky part of my background, Dennis, is I spent my 20s training as a, a Catholic priest. So I suspect this might be the, the first ex-seminarian you've had on your podcast. I don't know, but I spent nine years yeah, training as a priest, and that came with a whole lot of different experiences too. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. And tell me, the, the transition between being a priest or becoming a priest into the public sector, then into the private sector, and now back into the public sector, what have those transitions been like for you? Not, not as difficult as you might think, and that's not to presume your own thinking, but uh, it wasn't too difficult. I mean, particularly moving from trainee priest life to politicians, probably easier than people realise. To be completely blunt, church politics is far more brutal than it is in parliamentary politics. But also, I suppose, in those, those years of seminary training, you're, you're being trained for leadership, for responsibility. So that translated quite well into to Parliament. And I suppose in my public and then uh, private roles, the fact that I had to be engaging and talking and understand people, those are some good transferable skills there too. Yeah, cool. And, and is that how you got into leadership? Yeah, well, I, I think yes. Yeah, I mean, look, I, 
If my family were here, they would tell you that right from a young age, I've always been an opinionated something. Yeah. <laughs> Very opinionated. So even in my school days was um, always getting involved in things. But I suppose that training in the 20s particularly helped me, if you will, hone some leadership because that's what you've been formed up to be. And people look to you to, to lead in different ways. Eventually, it wasn't for me, partly because actually I wanted to get into to politics, wanted to get into parliament. And for whatever reason, which I'm grateful for, I managed to achieve that. Yeah, wonderful. And tell me, you know, even from when you were a kid and they wanting to get involved in things, I mean, I think that's quite important for leaders to put their hand up and, and, and step forward and do things. What, what are your thoughts on that? Did, should they be putting their hand up more often? Should they be stepping up to things? I think so. I mean, there's there's always going to be different forms of leadership, but in general terms, I, I think you do have to, to lead and lead by example and lead from the front. I mean, the historian in me doesn't particularly like part of that when you think about all the officers leading from the front in various battles and the first to be shot. But I think actually there's a real there's a real place for, for leadership by example, and it's certainly something I've tried to, to follow in my journey across various roles in leadership. Okay, cool. And you've talked about the historian side of you. And so here's my next question to you. And that is, who's your favorite leader? Now, this person can be alive or can be from history. So who's your favorite leader and why? I must I always hate this question. But look, look, the one that's been on my mind of late, actually, um, he's dead, William Wilberforce, actually, um, probably most well known because of his um, anti-slavery work. And I suppose that's, that's part of what inspires me. But he was also the first to work for animal welfare, prison reform, which I'm slightly, um, having been a prison chaplain, sort of grateful for that. So he's he's someone who did a remarkable array of things in themselves. But I think what stands out for me with Wilberforce was his just utter determination. He just didn't give up. And I love that about him. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an important trait for a lot of us in life today is don't give up. And I think that's, that's really, really important. And interesting how you mentioned him because Wilberforce is a street that I grew up in, in Wilberforce Street in Wellington, actually. I grew up in that street. And yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned his name for sure. And it's the determination and not giving up with things is really important for us. And for a lot of people, it's just easy to roll over and just give up. Yep. I think that's one trait that a lot of leaders need to need to have today. What's one thing or two things that you think that leaders probably need to have to be able to have, have that determination, that grit, that do not give up? What, what do you think they should do? I think a big part of it, I've certainly found in the political realm, you've got to understand what you stand for and why. So right. if you're going to be in a position of leadership trying to guide, if you're going to be leading a team, if you've got a vision for your sales targets, or in my case, you know, policy in parliament, you as the leader have to understand what you're asking for at such a level that you can easily and readily articulate it to people. I suppose it comes from another part of my academic background that if you can't explain an idea to someone quickly and simply, you yourself don't understand it. So yeah, leaders knowing what they think and importantly, knowing then why. Lots of people will be very emotive and expressive of what they believe, but when you press them for why, what why is it? That's often I find lacking. So I think that's a critical element in leadership. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, I think that's, that's beautiful what you just said there because on the surface, it sounds good or it's the emotional side of things. But as you scrape that surface or dive, dive a little bit deeper, there's nothing there or it's just, just, it's just not happening. So I think you're right. I mean, a lot of leaders do need to actually understand that why. And in particular, when things get hard or difficult for us, if we don't know the why and we don't understand, then we will give up. 
Otherwise, yep. but if we do know the why, then that's what's really going to help us stay on course and where we're going. Look, absolutely. It also means that you can have a proper and full conversation with people, including have very different opinions. I mean, I again, probably not unsurprising to your listeners in politics, it's divisive, but actually some of the best and easiest conversations I've had is with opponents who equally and clearly know why they think. It makes a robust, often respectful conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good. And there's nothing worse than having leaders who don't know where they're going, don't know their why, or don't even make a decision. And I think even if they do have a decision or a why and it's opposing, that's cool. Have that conversation, have that debate, but then also listen to what the others are saying too. And hey, you might be surprised and learning something else from someone else. Look, exactly right. And you, you've always got to be open to learning more. I mean, this is the the paradox or the flip side. You have to have the confidence in your opinion. You have to understand why, but in reverse, you must always be open to understanding where others are are coming from. They can be equally as strong and as grounded as you, but mm. different. And so it's yeah. a constant engagement, learning, and I think that is an important part of leadership. Yeah, great. Thank you. Now, the show is called Leadership is Changing, and when I mentioned that uh, title, well, what does that mean to you? I think it's actually a reflection of how leadership's always been. I think leadership is always changing and evolving. I think it's it's innate to it. But I certainly think in today's age, leadership is changing and changing very fast. That's probably a whole uh, thesis or topic in itself. Why is it speeding up? But it, it certainly, to me, feels that the dynamics are, yeah, changing and changing fast. Yep, totally. And I think a lot of it comes down to things like technology, we think we're seeing it's actually an enabler for us to do things in life and in business and so forth. And I think it's making things go faster. It's just how do we keep up with it? How do we keep abreast of what's going on in the industry and, and what's changing in business and in life and so forth? And, you know, we think about certain things in life where take Kodak as an example, right? I mean, here's an organization that didn't move with the digital world, even though the board of directors had a digital solution sitting in front of them. And they decided not to go that way. And it just history, hindsight's a grand thing, right? I mean, it's just the way it is. But it's interesting to see how, for a lot of us, we may not do things in life because we're not sure what's going on. But if we actually understand more, hey, who knows where it can go? will be really exciting. Oh, absolutely. And equally, I always think of the old Sony Walkmans. You know, we all we all had them or the uh, the, CD, the mobile uh, CD players and then literally overnight, boom, finished. But yeah. equally, from what I could see, you know, that business was able to pivot, using one of the words of the moment, and change. So, but yeah, change can come when you least expect it. Yeah. Look, look at us the last 18 months, right, with the with the pandemic, how things have changed for us. We've had to move things differently and work differently and use that word pivot or adapt or do whatever we need to do, which is which has been really interesting to see and, and experience, I think, is another thing I could probably say it in that way. Yeah. Well, I, when I think of some of my local businesses, obviously a lot struggle, but the nimbleness of many who've, you know, for example, have been putting off going online for years, it was never really needed, then all of a sudden it became urgent and some within literally days, Dennis, had their businesses up and online and it was just incredible, incredible. Well, it's probably going back to when we were kids, right? Whereby, you know, we first taking those steps, we wanted to crawl and that, but then they let go of us, our parents let go, and, and they were sort of pushed out the nest, if we could put it that way, for a bird, same thing, pushed out the nest, fly, and same thing with about those kind of things too. And I think sometimes we have a catalyst that will actually just push us to go ahead and do something that we've probably been putting off for a little while. 
And it's never easy though, right? I mean, pretty easy for you and I to talk about, but not always easy to do in the in the time and situation. Well, I think that I think you're right, but I think that's also the quality of leadership where you have to, you know, I know it's the trite statement, but you've got to walk the talk. You know, that's that's really important. It's it's also do what I do and do what I I say. That they've got to match up, and I think that's an important part for leaders. Not saying that I get it right by any means, but I think it's something to uh, aspire to. Oh, absolutely. And I think it confuses a lot of people when a leadership turns around and says one thing and it does something totally different. People go like, well, there's mixed messages here. What are, what's right? What's wrong? What are we doing? And it's confusing for a lot of, of organisations, which is really interesting. Simon, the next question is your business or industry. Now, I'm going to change that a little bit for you. So, from a politics perspective, how's things changed for you and, and what sort of demands has that put on you? Look, certainly in my time in Parliament, it's got even faster and more intense. The mm. expectation of what Parliament can do, should do and should achieve has moved from years to now sometimes just the expectation in terms of, of, of weeks. And that's a, a huge challenge for a system which has evolved over hundreds of years and quite a slow. And I often use the example, Dennis, of a, trying to turn a super tanker Big mm. one of those big oil super tankers. It takes a long time, and Parliament now has been, you know, called upon to, to act and lead uh, faster. And I think the other element you're seeing a lot more of, and it might seem paradoxical, but Parliament's becoming more about management than personalities. We don't have as many characters left as we once did, and that's not a poor reflection on my current colleagues or myself. I hope, but. It's really about trying to manage a system very quickly and again efficiently. And I think, yeah, that's 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 been the changes I've certainly noticed. Yeah, and I like what you're saying. Where there's a calling to act and lead faster. I like I like that. I mean, I think that's what we are having to do as leaders: is act, get on with things, execute, make it happen, and lead faster. And if we're not, we're sleeping at the wheel. We will get hit from behind. There was something will happen, and and we'll miss the boat, or the things will th- yep. fall through the cracks. Right. Yeah, though the conundrum is, and I'm afraid it's how my mind works, there's always the tension between where are we leading and where are we following and where are we right or where are we just being popular. So this this mm. faster pace on the positive side is absolutely reacting to the need in the country at the time. And I'm not thinking about COVID here, just any of the General. policy issues. The flip side, the paradox as can be that you're rushing things. And and one of the consequences I've seen across multiple governments, I should be really clear, is that things get pushed through and we've got to keep coming back to do amendments. If you were to go back even over the course of my nine years in parliament, the number of amendment bills we've done because mistakes were made earlier. So it just again raises those little tensions for me. Where are we leading versus following? Where are we being right versus rather than what's popular? And when you're following or trying to be popular, more often than not, mistakes get made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it goes back to the doing things right or doing the right thing. And I think the other thing too is, you know, hey, if we take Team New Zealand in the America's Cup as an example or any other sporting team or anything in business or anything in life, if we don't make decisions and get on with it, then we're procrastinating. And if we're standing still, the rest of the world is going to go past us and we'll get left behind. The other thing too is we, we, if we do go ahead, is it? perfect no it's never going to be perfect but we got to get on with it and if we get on with it that's where we do the tweaks as you're talking about right so team new zealand in the america's cup finals or races they did they knew that there was a certain wind and this who the competitors were but then they couldn't foresee that wind changing possibly on them that they weren't expecting or the other team tacking in a certain way so they had to tweak they had to go 
And I know that analogy is a little bit different from maybe what you were talking about, but I think at the end of the day, when you step back, we just got to get on with things, right, and, and, and make things happen. We do, and I suppose... For me, it's almost the discussion of how long's a piece of string because, you know, yeah. you definitely don't want to dither forever. Parliaments are well known for that. Equally, you don't want to be reacting so fast that you don't ponder the consequences, but you're dead right. You've got to make a decision and progress. And it's often what I say to constituents who, who raise a lot of issues with me and again and around leadership. I often say to them, leadership is about actually making the decisions that you won't, which is a little bit confronting at times. But what it's saying is that, you expect of your political leaders to make decisions. Lots and lots of people, Dennis, as you well know, they've got opinions on everything from business to politics, morals to you name it. Lots and lots of opinions. We should do this. We should do that. That's all well and good until actually you've got to be the one who makes the call. And that's where that leadership kicks in. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not easy, those decisions that you have to make. And the way I look at it, Simon, too, is that you'll never please everybody. No. It's just it's just the way it is in life. And and I know that I've made some decisions in my life that my family and friends and that some of them don't probably aren't happy with what I've done. But at the end of the day, I've got to know my why and I've got to know where I'm going and, and going back to what you said earlier on. And then once you know that, you can make that. If I can make an informed decision based on all the facts that I've got, then that's great. Then I've made a decision. At least I'm being deliberate. Yep. Yeah, it's how I um, actually try to live my life is I, I've made the best decision at the time. could be the wrong one, but at that time, is that I've informed my, my thinking, I've read, I've discussed, I've made that decision. And it's one of the reasons in my life to date, I haven't regretted anything. Have there been things I've done wrong? Absolutely. For the media, I'm not going to tell you what, no, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's things I've done wrong, but I don't regret them because at the time, that was the best decision I, I could make. You learn mm. from it, though. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's a beautiful thing. If you do learn from it, that's a good thing. And I know that there is sometimes we've all made mistakes because you and I and our listen, the listeners here on the show, they, they are where they are based on the mistakes that they've made. And that's that's how we learn. The thing is that some of us have gone ahead and made the mistake twice just to make sure it was a mistake in the first place. Or there are others who keep making mistakes. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about doing things, learning from it, and moving on and building on it from there on, which is which is really important for us all to do and take it in our stride, yep. which is important, yeah. Simon, if there was one thing you could change in business, this is you as an individual, as a leader, if there was one thing you could change in business as a leader today, what would that one thing be? More reason, to be honest. I, I think it probably reflects a view I've got at the moment, Dennis, that we are well-loaded with emotion and feelings, and a, a lot of leadership decisions, what I certainly see in Parliament and beyond, is often a, an emotional reaction to things which are, are happening, which I think at times for me means that we don't get it quite right. And I'd agree with your earlier statement, you, you can't seek the perfect, it's not arguing that. But yeah, I'd like to see more reason and more discussion. And again, if I can just draw from my own, if you will, parliamentary or political work, it's been one of the big surprises that I don't have, and I suspect this applies to all the politicians, we don't have as much time to sit, think, and reason. So maybe that's a little bit optimistic or, yeah, a little bit optimistic for me. But I, I just like to see us having more more reasonable discussions, more time to, to ponder and reflect. Just maybe it's another way of saying how do we just slow things down just a little bit. Yep. And I've just did an episode recently, and it's called Slow Down to Go Faster. Mm. And it's very much that whereby sitting and, and stopping and to sit and think and reason 
is a really, really important thing. And I think a lot of leaders aren't doing this enough nowadays because they are always what we call on. Yep. And they're always going, right? Ping, there goes their phone. Ping, there goes an email. Next minute, phone calls. And, and it's just on. And they're not even present with people. So going back to what you're saying, totally agree. Sit, stop, sit down, think and reason with things. And then you can actually have those conversations. I actually think that a lot of these things will be a lot better for all of us in life, whether it be business life or whatever it is, if we actually did talk more. If we did actually take time out to do that, and uh, it would be really quite quite important for for sure. Yeah, well, I think it's something which, as you say, conversations. It doesn't matter if it's in your family life, your friends, right through to your business, or in my case, parliamentary. I mean, the, the important thing to me though is is not to be sort of sitting around, puffing on a cigar and drinking a scotch and just talking for hours and hours in circles. It's not that either. But mm. as you say, it's just that little bit. I like that phrase to to slow down in order to go faster, and I think yeah. that, that sums it up nicely. Yeah, yeah, cool. Now, you and I have been employees of the, in the past, and we, we know people who are employees today, and we talk a lot about leadership and what leaders need to do and so forth. What do you think employees' expectations of, of leaders? Have, has that changed at all? I think it has, and you'll hear a slight hesitation in my voice because I'm not sure whether it's me changing, getting older and grumpier, and, <laughs> and seeing a, a new set come through, but I see employees that I've, I've had the good fortune to have, and actually they've all been great. On the positive side, they're much more confident, that, which is a, a marvelous and, and positive of trait, you know, great confidence in who they are. And it means ultimately the job that they do and the job they've done for me or the, the business has been enhanced, um, no end. But the slight flip side I've, I've seen as well is it's a bit more difficult to challenge them at times. They're sort of expecting a lot more affirmation and this is particularly coming through a younger generation of employees. So again, it's a, I see it as sort of the two sides of a coin that yeah, great self-confidence, great capabilities, but at times, as I say, an, an inability to accept too much challenge. They, they just have to be affirmed. And that can present some challenge to a, to a leader because, again, part of your role is to grow them, hard to grow someone who thinks they're already, you know, they're already set. Yeah, yeah, true, true. And, I, and then there's the generations whereby I actually see they're actually quite hungry to learn, mm. but then they're not seeing strong enough leadership to lead them through that learning. And it's like, well, um, okay, so there's the flip side too. So, yep. yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. And and for some, yes, totally where you're saying it. And then on the other side, it's the, maybe they've got a point to some of them. So it's never right or wrong, any of those kind of answers. It's just about where it's at. If we can learn how to work with them and they get to learn to work with us. Now, when I'm saying them and us, what do, what do I mean by this now, right? I mean, it's that's quite interesting. I mean, I if I look at the older generations from me, they're probably looking at me going, what's that young guy going on about, right? I mean, it is it is what it is. I, I think that if we all can learn and we all can collaborate together nicely, and I don't mean to be nice, but collaborate, collaborate whereby we're effectively working together, that'd be a good thing. Oh, absolutely. And it is, it's ultimately relational. I mean, the idea that a, a leader or a boss that's completely detached from their employee is, is completely unhelpful. There is something almost symbiotic in it. I mean, I think you're right. There's actually a, a younger group of people coming through who are thirsting for, for knowledge. Yeah. But if the leader, if you will, the boss doesn't know, coming back to our earlier conversation, in a sense, who they are, why they are, well, they're hardly going to be able to impart much. And I think that certainly seen in some of my um, family, actually, the younger ones, there's a frustration that comes from it because, as you say, they're wanting knowledge, they're wanting information, 
but the, the leader is not prepared to give it to them because mm-hmm. they're themselves uncertain. So, yeah, there's, there's some interesting synergies here. Yep, totally is. Simon, we've talked about the world's moving fast and we've talked about the pivoting and the adapting side of things as well. How, what makes a leader successful in today's fast-paced, ever-changing world? What, what would make them really succeed? I think we've actually touched on it very briefly. And for me, it's summed up in a, an axiom, which I try, a bit of stress, try to live my life by, which is the unreflected life is not worth having. In other words, what makes a leader successful? It's someone that is able to reflect on what they're doing and why. In other words, they've provided themselves that little bit of time to reflect and therefore they're able to change and they become better. And it's certainly something I try to to practice that just about every evening once the day is done, I'll normally try to have a cup of tea and turn the lights out and just take a few moments to think what happened today? What did I learn from that? As I say, the old axiom, Socratic, is, yeah, the unreflected life is not worth having. Yeah, beautiful. I like that. I I like the fact that you turn the lights out and and you have that cup of tea and you're in a reflective mode whereby you're just chilling out to think about the day. Do, do you have a journal? Do you ever write things down to, to, to no, as part I've of never, I've got family who do. They're, they're assiduous on that. I've never been, despite liking to write, I don't keep don't keep a journal. So it's a very cognitive in my head, head alone. Just Again, there's no problem with having an experience in the day, but if I haven't thought about it, then it almost gets lost. So, yeah, it just sits in my head. But journaling, I'm told, is a very good thing to do as well. I mean, I think the fact that you're just taking time out to reflect is awesome because I think that that is, once again, going back to what you said earlier on, it's about where we learn and, and you know, how did it go? And I, I think the other thing too here, is, Simon, is the learning is one thing what we can do around reflecting, but I think one thing the leaders haven't done a lot of or need to do more of is celebrate, is celebrate some wins and some success or a learning. But if we take some time out to celebrate, that'd be pretty cool. I should get, look, I think you're dead. You're dead right. If I could draw it again to a parliamentary example, we often don't celebrate. We don't even commiserate at times. You're just so, again, I suspect it's no different than other businesses, but you're on that that wheel. And yeah, it, you do miss those opportunities. And I'm often asked, you know, what happened at the start of a parliamentary week? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> it's just, everything has just happened so fast. And occasionally you've had some pretty major discussions, debates and votes. It's like, Oh, yeah, but you did right. We haven't had a chance to, to celebrate or take it in. Yeah, oh, that's good. So, listeners, if you, if you haven't taken time out to reflect, like Simon's sharing with us in the evening, just take some time out, 5, 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, doesn't matter how long it is, take some time out to reflect. Think about what's the one, two or three things that have happened today and that you can take away from it as a learning, as a reflection, as a celebration. I think that'd be a wonderful thing for you all to do. So it's a great habit to get into and highly recommend that you do do that. Okay, I'm going to get you to get your crystal ball out here now, Simon, (laughs) and think about the future here. Where do you see leadership being in five years? This was, look, I think it's a really good but incredibly challenging question. I I think actually we're going to end up with greater tensions between emotions and reason. And I think we're going to see tensions between, as I say, popularity and and leadership. Or, um, you know, I, I touched on it earlier. Where are we leading versus where are we following? Where are we doing what we know or believe is right versus what we know is popular? And I certainly see within the political or parliamentary realm those are big challenges developing for leadership. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And Simon, would you see that's the same across the world or is it just, just 
Where would you see that? I think it is by and large across the world. It's probably more manifest in the in the Western democracies. Right. We could get into a, a much, much bigger topic about why that's happening there and what other pressures are in play. But no, I think there is a lot of challenges in the Western democracies of of understanding the basis of the systems we have. And consequently, because there's a lot of questions about the systems, they're getting challenged in some ways for the better, in some ways not so good. But what it's leading to is, is a lot of uncertainties. Mm. And as soon as you're in that very uncertain space, it becomes very, very challenging of where do you choose your leadership again? Are you going to down more emotive line, what feels right? Or are you going to do what you believe you know, is the reasonable decision? Or how do you fuse both of those? So maybe in the more positive context, I'm putting them up as dichotomies, but actually the challenge in five years' time is how are we going to be fusing those two together? Mm. That's a great way of putting it together, how we fuse them together. That's nice. Good way to, to end as well. So, Simon, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Oh, the easiest is across my social media, everything from your Facebooks to Instagrams, and that's just at Simon O'Connor MP. Awesome. Wonderful. So, Simon, thanks again for, for joining me on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, look out for the episodes as they've been released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, your network. If there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show or if there's a question for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 